Hi, everybody. Wow. Hi, everybody. This is Roman. Thanks so much for tuning in. You're listening to the Weekly Review here on Mutiny Radio. It is Friday, January 22nd, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. As mentioned, we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, which is on unceded uh, Chochenyo, um, Ramatushaloni uh, land. And for more information, please go to the Weekly Rev webpage, weeklyrev.org. And if you click on the land acknowledgement page, I was going to say, uh, what I meant to say was that uh, there's a link to the Shumi land tax, um, also known as the Sagorate land trust, that folks can click on and, and donate to. And that is, that Sagorate land trust is on the Chichenyo Ohlone land. So yes, please go weeklyrev.org for more information on land acknowledgement tab. Lots of information there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Start off with some music as usual. Uh, first was uh, Detroit uh, School of Arts teens singing Everybody's Coming to My House. And then following that was uh, War on Women with uh, White Lies. And we'll be playing some music from them uh, throughout the program. I have a lot to get to, so I'm going very fast. <sighs> wow, uh, another Friday. Glad to be here. Um, feeling lots of feelings, as many folks are. Um, a little bit of sense of relief that 45 is no longer in a position of power and also uh, <laughs> some frustration that the person who was in a position of power was the vice president for the eight years prior to what brought us 45 and a lot of the systemic problems that are here um, have been here a long time and simply removing one person doesn't get rid of them. If only it were that easy. I also had a good conversation with a couple of friends yesterday and trying to, we were discussing our feelings about some folks who feel like, okay, now everything's okay, um, when really that's not true. And uh, I understand feeling some sense of relief, and also it's, uh, people have to, we have to be alert. It's not like things suddenly changed overnight. And uh, there's a lot of also uh, PTSD and trauma, and thinking of the at least half a million people who died needlessly in the past four years, probably more. I'm just thinking of the people in the U.S. I'm sure there are many more people abroad due to the actions of this government. And also just thinking of the folks I lost during the Obama administration and thinking of people who were lost during previous administrations as well. And there's always that saying, oh, you'll get through it. Don't worry, we'll get through it. It'll be tough, but we'll get through it. And not everyone gets through it. And I think that's really uh, an important thing to remember and need to allow a lot of time for mourning and grieving. cleared my head this morning, and maybe I made it a little bit too clear. Meditated, journaled, tried to get my thoughts out. I think one thing is that uh, def definitely a lot to, to get to today on the show, and I'll be playing an interview uh, very shortly, and then afterwards I'll be sharing a few news items and analysis items that folks have written. And for folks who are still following, uh, ICE is still around. ICE has not been abolished yet. It should be. It's only been around since 2003, and it should not exist. And there were... Uh, two young folks who were arrested in San Francisco this past week. And I'm just going to wait to share that news. However, um, I will share it now since I'm mentioning it. And also the fact that there are continued protests against ICE, and including in, in Portland, where ICE agents use tear gas. And this was on Wednesday night. So after the inauguration, the police and militarized forces are still harming people who are are working to create a world where everyone feels safe and families can be reunited. 
yet they're met, met with more violence than folks who stormed the Capitol. It's pretty atrocious. So that's, I think, one thing to really keep in mind is if when folks, I mean, I've tried to really <laughs> limit the conversations I have with folks, I guess, who I identify as liberal or, or centrist, I guess. I don't know. But I can't, uh, I, I've spent too long feeling gaslit when I say, I'm, hey, I'm concerned about police killing people. Or just because someone's elected doesn't mean we're going to see much change. Or a lot of people are still unhoused. People are hungry. They're spending all this money on war, which causes harm, instead of actually using that those funds to help people. You could get rid of student loan debt. We have enough houses to house people. There's no reason billionaires should exist. A lot of pretty, I feel like tired, uh, I'm t you know, tiresome talking points that folks have been talking about for ages. And this idea that um, we still have to argue with people about it, to be like, oh, hey, uh, by the way, can you can we please work to be sure that everyone has their needs met? And that's going to be better for everybody. And also just to dismantle white supremacy and all the systems that it's in, which is pretty much everywhere. When I was thinking this morning about how I would introduce the show, I had, uh, oftentimes I have, um, I don't know, it, it sounded good in my head, and then I get here, and it's just, and it's just, it feels tiresome, because it's the same things that people have been saying for such a long time, and it's frustrating to still have the same arguments, that people deserve to have their needs met not that complicated. That's maybe that's something else too is that often times on the show I've said, "Oh, well, our good news here is when something bad is prevented from happening or when something bad stops happening." And it a lot of so okay, so Biden has gone back again. He's stopped the Muslim ban. Of course that's good. And also there shouldn't have been a Muslim ban in the first place. And it's like the basic that's like a that's like the lowest bar possible. Like a lot of the undoing of the past 4 years is, uh, of course, that should be happening. That's not necessarily, oh, great. It, oh, wow, how special. It's more like, no, like, this is the base, this is basic. It needs to go above and beyond. <sighs> wow, I guess I'm cranky. From Democracy Now!, uh, ICE rips a nine-year-old Haitian boy from his older brother before deporting 19-year-old, and this is on Democracy Now! from January 20th. In immigration news, a nine-year-old boy from Haiti is being held by ICE after he was <coughs> excuse me, was separated from his 19-year-old brother when the pair were detained at the San Francisco International Airport Sunday. Despite having U.S. visas, ICE is transferring the boy into a government facility for unaccompanied children, and his family reportedly does not know his whereabouts. The older brother, 19-year-old Christian Laporte, is a student at Diablo Valley College in the Bay Area and has a student visa, but nonetheless deported to Mexico Tuesday before returning to Haiti. Customs and Border Protection alleges uh, Laporte was missing a document proving his student status and that his younger brother had previously attended elementary school in California, a violation of his tourist visa. I fucking hate these uh, Border Patrol fuckers. I 
can't imagine having a fucking job where you go out and you separate families and you cause harm to people. I, I can't imagine it. So following this news, uh, the ICE headquarters in San Francisco, as uh, folks had tagged it, and it's a, again, it's the very least I've uh, the anger and rage I feel towards folks who not only work in these positions, but the folks who fund it, who don't even do the, the dirty work themselves. I, I wanna say I wish nothing but the worst for them. And at the same time, recognize that in an ideal situation, folks would just wake up one day, realize what they're doing is wrong and stop it. That seems unrealistic. And at the same time, that would be much preferred. People aren't going to take it any longer. Oh, wow. I just really uh, talked myself down. I had some uh, whew, really tough stuff. Keep, keep on listening, please. This is not a comedy show by any means. However, uh, there is some uplifting news. And for more information on the, the ICE office in San Francisco, uh, Indie Bay has uh, an article. And we'll share all this on our webpage, weeklyrev.org on January 18th as strong winds rage 30 plus anti-racists attack the immigration and ICE office uh, oh, immigration and customs enforcement office in San Francisco and they have photos and they have more oh let's, let's read what they say okay on January 18th as strong winds rage 30 plus anti-racists attack the ICE office in San Francisco we thoroughly painted the walls smashed the windows and breached the building to wreak havoc inside. We did this to, in to initiate what will hopefully be the first in a series of breaks into and out of prisons and detention centers throughout the country. Like the tremors uh, presaging last summer's uprising, we are responding to a generalized call to liberate all those locked within the modern plantation system. We carried out this attack to show everyone where abolitionists and anarchists stand. On the eve of the inauguration and the so-called transfer of power, street-level white supremacists and the state fight one another for control over all our lives. We act fiercely for ourselves and our loved ones. In the unfolding chaos, there is real opportunity. The fragility of the state is on full display. We'll continue to attack both the liberal and fascist wings of the state proactively and relentlessly as they are mutual participants in the maintenance of exploitation and repression. In the final analysis, they are functionally the same. We know that Biden and Harris will try to keep ICE running just as it did under Trump and under Obama. ICE follows the three miserable directives of Homeland Security investigation, investigations, enforcement, removal, operations, and management and administration. We take joy in the disruption our attack caused to that nightmarish routine. We join all prisoners and ICE detainees who continue to fight by way of hunger strikes, escapes, and riots against repression and neglect from the state. We see you, we hear you, until every prison door and border walls open, solidarity means attack. Solidarity to the mi migrant caravan in Central America. Greetings to our comrades in Vacaville, in memory of Willem von Spronson. All power to the wrecking crews. Strike early, strike often, death to America. We want everything, now or never. And this was shared by Anonymous. And there's also lots of photos that say, fuck ice, on the building, and a broken window, and oh, a little cop who's like, oh, and anarchy sign on the building as well, and more broken windows, more fuck ice. Uh, no justice and open this uh, difficult for me to read and also for a world without 
borders. And oh, wow, some really great photos here. And so again, um, we will be sharing this on our webpage, weeklyrev.org, and um, sending lots of love and solidarity to the folks who wrote this and took action. Also, red blood, red blood, red paint, not red blood, red paint um, on the front of 630 Sansom Street. So yes, we'll be sharing more information about this. All right, going to take a bit of a music break, and then I'll get into um, around 12.30. We'll start the playing the interview I did uh, with Felicia Medina uh, this past week, and so informative, and I feel so privileged to have spoken with Felicia. So after this one song, we'll uh, I'll introduce it and get started.
Hi, welcome back. Oh, I love that song. That was more on women with wonderful health. And coming up, I'm going to share an interview that I did this past week and a quick bio. Uh, Felicia Medina is a founding partner of Medina Orthline LLP, a civil rights and employment law firm in Oakland, California. Her practice focuses on individual and class action employment discrimination and harassment cases relating to race, gender, gender identity, and expression, and sexual orientation, as well as wage and hour collective actions. In the early part of her career, Felicia stood out as a top litigator in 2010 as trial counsel who secured the largest employment gender discrimination class action verdict in U.S. history against Novartis Pharmaceuticals. She quickly rose through the ranks from associate to managing partner in her higher firm San Francisco office, an office she opened, becoming one of the few queer women of color in leadership position in a national law firm. In 2017, Felicia opened her own law firm with Jennifer Orthwine, a leading litigator and thought leader fighting for transgender rights. Medina and Orthwine have settled three class actions, had an educational institution publicly apologize for its anti-blackness, and have set precedent in the 42 USC 1983 arena. Additionally, Felicia has secured an unprecedented pre-suit $19.5 million gender discrimination class action settlement against Qualcomm and an $8.2 million gender discrimination class action settlement with Daichi Sankyo, the first case to be conditionally certified under the Equal Pay Act in the Ninth Circuit. Felicia has also successfully argued a Sixth Circuit appeal in a race harassment case and secured numerous pre-suit settlements on behalf of individuals or groups of employees. Felicia regularly speaks on impact litigation strategy, racial justice, and equal pay issues, and has been honored as a 2018 San Francisco Business Times Outstanding Voices, 2017 Daily Journal Leading Labor and Employment Attorneys in California, a 2016 National LGBT Bar Association Best LGBT Lawyer Under 40, a 2015 National Diversity Council Most Powerful and Influential Woman, and a Law 360 2014 Minority Power Broker. Felicia received her law degree from Yale Law School in 2006 and then joined Morrison and Forster LLP. Wow. So again, I feel so grateful to have been connected to Felicia and big thank you to Lev for uh, introducing us. And um, here will be the uh, conversation and I'll check in a little bit afterwards. And also um, I'll be sharing some of the links that we mentioned in the interview on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. So yeah, please do stay tuned. Taking just a moment to get everything up and running here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Okay, this is taking a, a little <laughs> bit of time, so I'm just going to put on a little bit of music and get everything started.
if you'd like to ask you to start by introducing yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Felicia Medina. I am a founding partner at Medina Orthline LLP in Oakland, California. It's a queer-owned law firm. We focus on civil rights. Majority of the work we do is employment-based, and also we have a full practice area devoted to LGBTQ prisoner rights for abuse behind bars, Me Too behind bars, and on the employment end, we do a lot of equal pay and a, and a lot of race discrimination, class action work, really trying to get at the heart of systemic racism in both the public sector and the private sector, particularly STEM companies and public companies. It's a lot of very important work. I'm grateful that you're doing this. I was curious if you could talk a little bit about how you started getting into, into this line of work. Yeah, I always wanted to be an advocate. I kind of always was, was interested in law. My grandmother was a farm worker advocate back in the mm. day. And uh, that's what kind of influenced me in terms of my view of the world for many different reasons. She would run a kind of informal safe house. And I did not like how certain white passing parts of my extended family would look down on her and look mm. down on the people she would help and the families that she would help, you know, who may or may not have been have more indigenous backgrounds. And I knew there was no difference between me and the families that I came to know over the years. And so that just was unsettling to me. And so law and advocacy and you know doing whatever I could possibly do to get at systemic issues was what was, was enticing to me. And it, it definitely stemmed from this very pivotal person in my life, which is my grandmother. Oh. And so what, what steps were taken in terms of becoming like a civil rights attorney, aside from... Yeah, I had a bit of tunnel vision, you know, and of course hindsight is twenty twenty. but I got involved in a lot of labor-backed campaigns mm -hmm. in college, mm -hmm. and I didn't know then, there's no lawyers in my family, I didn't know then that you could major in anything and go to law school. So I had some majors that I, I loved, you know, but there was, you know, I'm reminded often of, I, I go to the Chicana Latina Foundation Gala in the Bay Area here, it's a scholarship committee, and I'm reminded of the scholarship recipients saying, you know, why don't you have your children be artivists and um, engineers and all the different types of things. That being said, you know, uh, I um, was able to kind of do these benchmarky things, for lack of a better word. You know, go to a really good law school, you try to get the best, you know, internships and things like that. And um, and now able to kind of with the like a reputation behind me, you know, that and not to have a white cis man behind me as well and have my own name, it is kind of come full circle in terms of. Um, payoff for, you know, like sacrificing a bit along the way, but, you know, being yes. a lawyer, there's many paths to it. And in yes. fact, in our law firm, we have a legal apprentice and people who don't want to go to law school mm -hmm. because it's, because uh, it's expensive and it's awful experience for most, and they don't really train you. Mm. Um, you can just apprentice because law is an oh. apprentice. And then you are not in sold on this ivory tower stuff. That really doesn't have to be the case. And why should there be this huge monopoly over law that is going to favor 
groups in power, people in power, which we all know who those people are. And so the numbers in terms of Latinas and other intersectional folks are really, really low in the bar. Um, mm. But I'm heartened that this, they really they did something with the last bar. And finally, the pass rate in California was 60% as opposed to 40%. So mm. I'm hoping and we're all hoping that this profession can be somewhat transformed if you look at all the kind of barriers along the way. Yes, definitely. How, how this is a perhaps a, a pretty broad question, but how is it working like within an unjust system? Like, how does one necessarily recognizing that the system is unjust? How does one push back against that while inside of it? Yeah, I heard something recently that we are we are part of the system, but we are not mm -hmm. of the system. This is mm -hmm. not the system mm -hmm. or the legal standards that we would put into place if we had uh, power. And mm -hmm. so we are trying to claim as much power as we can to morph this so it can be for us and by us in terms of looking at statute of limitations to bring certain claims. Why is it that contract claims in some states can be brought six years later, but an employment discrimination case, if you don't file with a government agency within a year or two, depending on which state you're in, you're kind of out of luck. So it just says something mm. about our values. You know, it's just it's yeah. look at every aspect of of employment discrimination and and in law and how do you prove it and and it's just problematic. One, you have to prove intentionality on an individual basis for discrimination and now uh, and people, you know, they cannot be, you know, their biases, you know, their unconscious bias. Um, you know, unconscious means the opposite of intentionality. So having to prove intentionality when the second you go to a jury and say this person, you know, has some racism issues, it's you're 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 a goner, you know. So you have to make the story real. You have to show how collectively all these experiences in corporate America that that BIPOC folks experience, you know, are not. You know, you have to work within the confines of this very unjust system, you know, to to tell tell the story. And then the story, mm -hmm. hope, will be powerful enough. And you can tell the story best, especially if you have shared experience, which that's the problem. There's not a lot of people mm. with shared experience who want to do civil rights work. There's great, great advocates, but, you know, the, the people that, you know, are, you know, have been through, have been without housing, have been through any number of situations are usually better able to tell the story. And so to kind of sum up, you know, we have a legal system. We don't have a justice system. Mm -hmm. And it, I am conscious and my firm is conscious every day that, you know, we are making this living, so to speak, off of people's pain, predominantly black people's pain. And I don't take that lightly and I don't ever let that leave us. And I'd rather, you know, of course, I'd rather there be this queer owned intersectional law firm because when I wasn't at my own law firm, a majority of my cases were for, for white women. And now mm. we're doing exclusively race cases. Mm. And because there's just gaps in the profession and not enough people, you know, who are out and proud and brown and all these beautiful things mm. in the profession. Yes, yes. I was thinking we can maybe also talk about uh, prisoner rights, since that's something you also have talked about as well. Yes. 
So just like in the employment world, the powers that be have put a lot of barriers legally for us to bring class actions against uh, prison systems. Um, but you know, we are not without recourse. We use every single tool available, even with these barriers that I speak of. You know, we stretch and push the law to its very limits. And there is the prison system in general is unacceptable. You know, we are definitely prison abolitionists. And um, for people who are behind bars, trans women of color are going to be assaulted, you know, 40, 50 times more than the general population. And that's just unacceptable. So a lot of the cases we bring are for not only access to trans health care, which is, you know, an absolute right, uh, not a privilege, but to hold people accountable for the assaults and things that happen that are horrific. And that's. That's the crux of what we do on the prison side. You know, we use every single constitutional violation we can allege to show this specific harm that is mm-hmm. happening routinely all the time. It's grotesque and inhumane, and you know, it absolutely has to stop. So that's why the Meet You Behind Bars movement mm-hmm. uh, that we're a part of is oh so important because the Me Too movement has been, you know, can be uh, usurped in many different ways, and yes. you know, this where a lot of violence against women is happening and it's behind these terrible bars and walls that we put up. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Taking all that in. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yes. It is a lot to, to take in. Um, and, and it's also very, very important work that we hope, I hope all our work becomes obsolete. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And uh, and all our clients, you know, can live, you know, who've been down for many, many years, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, there's no question, you know, that their life has been indelibly marked. But I just focus on the times where we can work on things that are not active cases and to get people out, just get people out. And so to all the people who put kind of clemency proposals together, COVID proposals together to just get people out. It takes a whole, whole, whole community and village and that community and village is beautiful. And there's a lot of very dedicated folks and you know, without their support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do with this mm-hmm. law license that we have. Yeah. So I thought we could maybe um, also talk a little bit about um, the cases that are happening in San Francisco, if that's okay. Yes. So here in San Francisco, um, the city of SF as an employer, it's one of the largest uh, employers in in the city. And, uh, you know, folks are organizing outside of their unions or within their unions. And some people are Mm non-union. And you know, speaking truth to power. And there has been some admissions by people in leadership within the city, you know, that systemic racism is the system here, you know, in as a public employer. And so that is a great first step. Mm-hmm. But it, we need to get to the truth and the reconciliation efforts of remedying the very bad stats that everyone has turned a blind eye to. You know, you should not, if you are a black employee, you should be able to have a lifelong career. 
just like everyone else, just like majority white cis groups. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. If you look at pay, if you look at promotion, if you look at discipline, if you look at attrition, if you look at any number of metrics, why are black employees in this uber progressive city still disproportionately impacted? And that is because these systems and these policies need to really be turned on their head. Yes. Yes. So to, we filed this lawsuit um, about a month or two ago. We have some very brave class representatives who have shared their experiences in a very public way. And the city is, is going to decide whether to answer the complaint mm -hmm. or to, to move to dismiss it. And then we'll get into discovery, and that's where you know, where we want to get as soon as possible, and yeah. to really unearth even more that that is there, um, and that is being, you know, that you know this is a public employer. This is their transparency should reign supreme here. Mm -hmm. There's no, there shouldn't be the type of you know private employer, pub, big public company trying to hide the ball because they're really they don't answer, they answer maybe to their shareholders, but shareholders don't hold you know, companies accountable at all, you know, right. but there are efforts, you know, in some of that I, I follow um, of shareholders organizing to put racial and gender equity at the forefront, um, not just have it be lip service. So we're really proud to be representing a, a class of black employees against the city of, of SF. And um, we want to see we have a lot of ideas um, with our collective knowledge and wisdom of what you know what can make that whole system fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, has has there been a case like this uh, prior in this in the city? No, there's been a lot of individual mm -hmm. actions, and so that's mm -hmm. why the class action device as a lawyer, as a class action attorney, needs mm -hmm. to be preserved and expanded. It's the only way to kind of get at a broad, have some leverage yes. uh, against a, a law and legal standard that's that's stacked against you and against employers who are who are definitely against you, your adversaries. You know, so. Um, So no other lawsuits that we're aware of, and you know we we are preparing to take this all the way. Um, mm -hmm. If the settlement can happen at any time, you know, but we are not going to settle for anything less than what our clients and the and their years and years and years of dedication to the city collectively mm -hmm. require. Mm -hmm. And are there ways for? Uh, black workers to who are also experiencing this to um, share their experiences uh, with this case or to um, how best to say it to um, collaborate or to share if they haven't contacted you yet could they also do so yes they could contact us they can t they can be active through the black employee uh, mm -hmm. black em association black employee association the PEA mm -hmm that Dante mm -hmm. King is, I think, in the leadership of. And um, there'll be many times along the way where we, we need to hear about people's experiences. Mm -hmm. We wanna go to the court and say, look, judge, 
we should be certified as a class action. Look at all these common experiences yes. of racism and discrimination. And so, and that's also memorializing things and not erasing it. Um, and so, in addition to going to our website to tell us your experiences along the way, there are things called declarations that we will mm. be receiving from class members uh, where that can start the process of, of vindication, of truth and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So what what is a I'm unfamiliar with a lot of these terms. So what it, what what is exactly would be a declaration in terms of this? Yeah. So at class certification, we would we are we are going to look at data, and that's quantifiable. And then there's a qualitative aspect of what our motion to be certified as a class action would look like. Mm -hmm. And so it would be a sworn statement saying I so and so work mm -hmm. for the city for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And they would share their experiences about pay, mm -hmm. promotion, hostile work environment, failure to prevent harassment. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of upheaval within the human rights department, the human resources department, which maybe should be renamed the human rights uh, department. Mm. <laughs> Ideas are just flowing out today. So thank you for this conversation, Roman. But yeah, it's a, it's a piece of paper with your mm -hmm. signature and you attest to what your experiences have mm -hmm. been. Yes, and this also makes me think of the a lot of the tech companies here, which are certainly more privately owned, but also similar experiences with black workers and other non-white workers at those companies as well, going through uh, similar experiences to what you're describing in terms of discrimination at the workplace. Absolutely. A lot of the work we do is against STEM or tech companies and mm -hmm. Um, you know, racism is is oh so prevalent, mm -hmm. and that should not be a controversial thing. But sometimes it is to mainstream America, even when you have data, even when you have um, uh, any number of people posting about their experiences. And I don't like the term microaggressions. Um, it just minimizes that what any one microaggression can do to you mm -hmm. in your day. And it also, from a legal standpoint, um, it, it's not, it, it should be renamed, you know, because think of any one microaggression that you've experienced and say you had to have a meeting or this or that, it could throw you completely off mm. and into some type of racial trauma experience. And these are all too commonplace and we just want a better world. Like tech is, is very, very powerful and influential mm -hmm. and there's no reason why the gender and racial gaps need to exist but for women are seen as buzzkills and and uh, POC and black employees are seen as liabilities. I can't tell you. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break and try to get this back on track. Uh, please do stay tuned.
women are seen as buzzkills and and uh, POC and black employees are seen as liabilities. I can't tell you. into a racial trauma experience and these are all too commonplace and we just want a better world like tech is is very very powerful and influential mm -hmm. and there's no reason why the gender and racial gaps need to exist but for women are seen as buzz kills and and uh, POC and black employees are seen as liabilities I can't tell you Okay, I seem to have a, an issue here with the video. So, um, well, please do be patient and we'll try to get this as straightened out as soon as possible.
go. If you'd like to actually start by introducing yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Felicia Medina. I am a founding partner at you'd like to actually start by introducing yourself. Hi everyone. You know, that's just, you know, the, the breaks. I worked hard or whatever it is. And it, it, that's what white people see. All right. I think we got it back up.
Yes. So yes. You, you need leaders to like have some kind of you know political awakening. You know the mm -hmm. leader. If the leadership in any of these organizations, you know, what they want, they get in a mm -hmm. second, you know, and so um, there are examples of corporate America, you know, do, trying, you know, and so one is Salesforce, where they published their pay data and mm. showed there was a gender, you know, gender gap, and they remedied that gender gap volitionally, and then three years later, they evaluated the data again, and it came back, the disparity. Mm. You know, so they evaluated why that was and again remedied it as well. And you know, speaking of tech, we had a case against Qualcomm, which we didn't have to file in an adversarial way and we settled it on a pre-suit basis and for for women on with pay and promotion claims. And you know, that was another situation where if the leadership wants, you know, to work with you, to hear you, to hear from the impacted groups to actually, you know, dent and change these awful metrics, it, it's just, it's a drop in the bucket, mm -hmm. and it, it should be more common. It should be more common. Yeah. Yes. Uh, taking a moment to let that all sink in. Yeah, and it's, we can use, yeah, it, this COVID moment to take a hard look at everything. I hope so. Right. Yeah. And also just, it's one thing to recognize that this disparity exists, and it's another thing to take action on it. And so I think it's just so important to be able to be able to, to do that, to have these people be accountable for people in leadership positions, for instance, to be accountable to their workers. Exactly. So, you know, speaking of accountability, you know, we are starting something we're terming right now the Corporate Accountability Project 2021. And what we need is for people, predominantly allies too, to use their mm -hmm. privileges to hold corporations accountable for all the lip service that they put out last year after the murders of so many black people. And so, you know, accountability is super, super key. And so we really want to ask corporate America, do black lives really matter? You said X, Y, Z. You said you were going to do A, B, C. What is mm -hmm. the update? And so that's something that is very, very important, whether it changes anything or not, but just to let that amount of colossal BS just be said mm -hmm. last year. I mean, I've been dealing with corporate lip service my whole career. You know, definitely everyone sees all the diversity statements and this statement mm -hmm. and this and that, but you know, the proof is in the pudding. And so if there are people at various corporations, particularly in the Bay Area with, with tech and STEM companies who want to get involved, you can go to our website and there'll be a, a media toolkit present there and mm. really look at what the representations were that your corporation made and quote them and say, look, on the one year since the vicious murder of George Floyd, you know, what, what has changed, what mm -hmm. has changed and what, you know, structurally, you know, are you able at a, at a base level to share power? You mm -hmm. know, yes, you can talk about all this training and affinity groups and this and that, but if affinity groups don't have any access to data to look at things like pay and attrition, then what are they really there for? They're there to just make 
you look like you're doing something corporation and that's that mm -hmm. you know like you have to really really care about you know racial and gender justice and and prove it with tangible actions and with you know labor unions and union movement is oh so important but you know definitely been beaten down by the courts mm -hmm. and you know we need a different type of way of organizing um you know in in a conjunction with that if um a majority of workers are are non-union and so mm -hmm. there has to be some way to balance the 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 power there the differential there mm -hmm. and so this is one way that we're thinking cap 2021 or cap 21 for short can mm -hmm. provide an initial mechanism there's a lot of efforts going on um out there but this would be like a uniform way for everyone kind of workers in corporations across the board you know mostly they're non-exempt employees um or exempt employees from overtime so those are the, the those are the types of employees we're targeting you know to to sign on to this effort you know people who are managers and above you know who mm -hmm. are in corporate America and see all that they saw last year you mm -hmm. know and before and have looked into how this is just the information age putting it front and center and that this has always been going on and so for all the kind of white employees out there in positions of power in these very big corporations if you're looking for something tangible to actually do to show your solidarity like this is one thing mm -hmm. And I think also just now in particular, uh, time-wise, I think there's an article that came out recently about all the jobs lost during the pandemic, and it was all women who lost their jobs. And of those women, it was uh, Latina and black women in that. So it's... Not surprising, you know, yeah. like whenever anything's going to happen, it's going to be black and brown women who are going to bear the brunt of, of you know, there of oppression um, or some other type of bigger thing like a pandemic mm -hmm. and, and in California the the stats the equal pay stats for black women and brown women mm -hmm. are you know just abhorrent I think Latino women make 67 cents on the dollar to white men in California and there's a and that's just unacceptable you know women of color have been doing it all all the time you know, they are worth, you know, 200% markup on the dollar. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is something that in a couple of our cases, we've been able to put forth specifically the, ex you know, the experiences and contributions writ large of black and Latino women mm -hmm. in the state of California and, and you know, nationally. Um, okay. Is there anything else? There's definitely like a lot more we can discuss. Is there anything else you'd like to move to at this moment in regards to our conversation? I don't, I don't know. Like we, do you want to talk about just self-care stuff? Sure. That's always uh, funny how that's like, sometimes uh, I forget to oh, bring yeah. that up considering the work is so, I would imagine just so emotional and difficult in so many ways. So yeah, please let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I've been really kind of honing in on self-care stuff and doing a lot of breathing, a lot mm. of a lot of meditating, a lot of drawing, a lot of writing, 
and um you know that's all a lot of swimming mm. and um that's been very very good and doing it in uh in a still in a collective way too you know there there is that huge huge benefit that it was always so hard to kind of get to different things uh pre-covid and so now there's been a, just a lot of connections made a lot of kind of mm. sharing of ideas for you know, mindfulness in terms of, you know, forgiveness and compassion and mm. all these super important things. They're finally crystallizing for, for me personally. And I feel very fortunate and grateful for the people who have brought elements of that into my life. You know, it's such a key, key time, you know, where, you know, you can just keep grinding, 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 grinding. And um, you know, at some point, you know, developing these tools, I hope everyone develops these tools when they're you know, right, right at the start of their careers or you know, even younger than that, uh, to be able to sustain, you know, what it takes, you know, to take the hits and keep on going and, yes. um, and get your own kind of, um, your own, you know, have preserve your grace and, and have your glory for your clients and for your issue and for your community. Mm -hmm. it, it takes... A, a lot of kind of just you know kind of self a lot of self 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 loving and and all that stuff so nothing too concrete other than just wanting to say if you have not developed those things it can happen at any time yes um, yes and as someone who did not have a ton of tools uh you know going throughout because i've been practicing for about 15 years now or close to it and uh, now just even more so kind of, it makes your voice even that much more powerful. I'm really, really mm. seeing. Yeah, and I think like, sometimes we're scared of our own power, you know? Oh like, yeah. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, to not kind of other yourself or other your, your voice or silence your own voice, you know? You know, that's what they want. Like white cis men, they want us to be fearful. They want us to be stuck in anxiety. They want all of that because that's how they're able to perpetuate and continue with these systems of oppression. And so I'm, you know, the, the louder I can be, the more vocal I can be, um, the more I can, you know, rid myself of this kind of anxiety that creeps up in my body. It just feels, it's exhilarating. Yes. I def that a lot of that resonates with me. Um, even with hosting this show, it's still that I think fear of taking up too much space in a lot of ways. But then I look at other people who are taking up space and talking a lot and sharing, you know, nonsense and hateful rhetoric. I'm like, okay, if they if they feel like they're comfortable enough sharing all their words with the world that directly cause harm, the very least that I can do is, you know, share my truth with others. Yeah, I mean, you're, we're often told as marginalized communities to just to, or, or we want to be make ourselves small, mm. and 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 sometimes you know, for checking in about stepping in or stepping out, you know, that's a good check in to do all the time, you know. But you are amplifying the voices of people who are doing all kinds of things that are the change in the world that we're seeing. And so, you know, I just really appreciate this time that we're having right now to just talk a little shop. And oh, yeah. I, yeah, this show is great. Um, and these discussions are oh so important. And it's, you don't hear from the people that you interview in, in the mainstream. 
you know, mm -hmm. so it, you're leaving this stamp there, you know, and, and it's an important stamp and, and the efforts and the activism that's going on, um, it all kind of helps to kind of bring us all towards this, bring us all toward together, togetherness, connectedness, and, you know, effectiveness to, to get at some things that have always been unacceptable. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I think there's just so much to also to learn and unlearn and relearn and this really to challenge like our own, you know, biases, like especially living in this country, there's so, there's so much through the media and sometimes often even through schools that just, and just misinformation and whitewashing of history that it's so crucial to really, to have these conversations and to seek out what people's experiences are, like either through storytelling or, or through other ways because it's, yeah. it's, it's so much more helpful to, to be, to feel connected to one another and to understand where, what other people have been through instead of, again, hearing this like recurring narrative from corporate media or folks in positions of power. Yeah, the indoctrination and the socialization and all those things, internalization, super, super real. And to have this counter narrative out there and to, you know, to live your own truth and your own story. And to, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, we, we are, we are disconnected as people, you know, mm -hmm. so the more connection of the human spirit, the better in terms of liberation, you know, for all of us. Yes. And, yes. Uh, that's one of the best things too, about doing the work that I do is all the, not only my clients who I supremely love and respect and um, feel honored to represent, but all the people along the way, you know, who are um, doing any number of, of so, so important things, you know, for whether it's advocating for sex workers to be decriminalized and um, advocating for, you know, the racial health inequities for the house, you know, people who are, don't have traditional house structures mm -hmm. and just anything along the way. It's like, you can just, if you could just look at your, your surroundings and be like, you know, what if I had a, a magic ball, what would that Oh, be? I think about that every <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> like what? every day I think about that every day. Just what, if I could just have a magic wand, what, you know, what would I would change? And then think about, okay, well, what's within my means that I can change? For sure, and it, with the magic wand, I hope that there's some kind of element of levity and party that comes back soon. You know, I really miss kind of getting together, miss music, I miss the weather, miss yeah. you know, dancing, I miss all that stuff. Um, you know, taking a moment to just be in community, you know, with like great music and and all that in a collective way. Super, super miss that. So with with our with our, you know, magic wand, we got to work that that back in um, in a safe and healthy way. So, indeed, and just one thing I was wanted to bring up that I've thought about before is in terms of just when you're working with folks in terms of um, campaigning for them to get them for people to have their basic needs met, pretty much. Like it also not only does it affect them, but it affects their families and their friends and also the next generations. So it's like, it's not just this one uh, person's case, it's really just so 
it reaches out so far, I think. And that's something I think about a lot with folks who are incarcerated, for instance, and how many people in their lives are then affected by that as well. Yes, yes. And, you know, and also issues across the board of, of working mothers, speaking mm. of, like, pain, you know, pain and, and things like that that can be passed down. We did a case against AC Transit, oh. and AC Transit wasn't accommodating women who are predominantly black women who work for AC Transit in terms of being bus drivers and uh. um, for lactation. You know, it, it's like, if if cis men and men lactated, you know, uh, this would have been accommodated. And so we represented four uh, awesome, brave women who said, I know my rights and you're yeah. not going to put me on leave. And we were able to settle that case recently. There was an article that came out about it. And the AC Transit was accommodating other types of injuries or disabilities, for lack of, uh, of two better words, mm-hmm. and not doing enough for lactating women who are just you know having their first babies or and um you know there's a way to do it it, it does not have to interfere with business operations to you know make some accommodations for women yeah. to do something so basic like provide yeah, to nourishment their children <laughs> to their child <laughs> yeah uh but there's a good result there. So, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and we're going to keep pushing on this issue. I think it was the first time that anyone had brought a lactation accommodation claim on a class-wide basis. So all the more reason to kind of, you know, for all the people, advocates and, and, and lawyers out there or lawyers to be, to look and see where else can we push. And this was one area where we did push. And it sets a precedent for other companies, corporations, um, and and it really did address the racial disparities because women who don't have access to lactation rooms or accommodations, they're predominantly lower wage workers who are predominantly black and brown. And so what, you know, that's, that's not okay, you know, like at, at all, you know, and that's how just in the form of lactation and nourishment and health, you know, it should not be the case that white cis women can, you know, can have families and and be able to do basic things like like you know feed their children mm-hmm. and it should be everyone we're not focusing on those women we're focusing on what's behind it that these racial mm. uh, disparities exist and that that type of you know gender you know it is very gender based accommodation needs to you know ring true across the board Um, so back to self-care. Oh yeah. I just, yeah, real I'm really into stretching. Like like someone, so, so if anyone wants to be like a stretch accountability buddy with me, Mm. please email me or because it just like, I don't have to go to an hour long yoga class. You know, Mm. that's hard to do. Or, or, you know, if it's not outside, it's unsafe right now. But I just want, like, I just need a little push, or maybe I'll put it out there in the universe now, like, to just kind of get my body more so into, into some, some, you know, more flexible, less tight kind of thing. And so 
I don't know. I need, I need an, I want, Roman, will you be my stretching accountability? Absolutely. I will. Okay. Do you have any favorite stretches? Um, <laughs> I guess when I'm not at a place with equipment, um, doing like the, I, I know, I realize this is audio, so I'll describe what I'm doing for listeners. Taking my elbow behind my head and just like stretching my arm, stretching one arm, and then going to stretch the other arm. So that feels pretty good. And I can also do it while sitting down and, and then also maybe like standing up and then stretching my leg back. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but every, I, it's a thing where like, I forget to stretch and then when I do it, I feel so much better. So I'm glad you brought that up because it is a very helpful reminder, especially growing older and, you know, finding, okay, my body's not as flexible as it used to be. And it just helps, I think also just in terms of trying to push away back pain and other types of bodily pain. Um, so, yeah. And it really kind of opens my heart metaphorically. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I like, I have my, my go-to stretches, you know, now kind of being worked in and a lot of like hips and things like that uh, to ward off injury as I'm getting older now too. Uh, I'm 41 and I'm going to turn 42. And um, yeah, we need to really, really get serious about taking care of ourselves and our bodies. And so I, I thank you for sharing your favorite stretches because it just, mm-hmm. it just makes me remember to do something because I yeah. feel overwhelmed because there's so many stretches or classes or this or that and I'm just trying to tell my family too like you know very basic five to ten minutes mm-hmm. is 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 super is golden it's golden. yes yeah I'm I just I turned 40 in November so I also we're in the <gasps> same age range and so definitely and I used to be very athletic when I was a kid and then you know the older one gets and then it's depending on one's job, I think spending time in a certain position or in a certain place. And it's, I oftentimes forget to move my body as much as I would like to. So it's a definite reminder. So are you a Scorpio then? I am a Scorpio. And do you think you're true to your sign? Yes. Are there aspects aspects of your sign that you think you're true to? Yes. What are they? Okay. So, um, <laughs> whatever you're willing to share. I love that the conversation has like gone the total just gamut of, okay. So <laughs> obviously I can talk about this a lot. Um, I don't know. Scorpios are known to be like secretive and mysterious. And I think part of me, I guess, and I also recognize that every single person can identify with any of these qualities, regardless <laughs> of your sign. But these yep. are just things that, you know, once I realize this is who I am, not necessarily supposed to be, but maybe it's hard to tell, do I just become more like this because this is what I'm supposed to be or hard to know which direction it, it moves in. So I think that being the mysterious or secretive, even though I think once I get to know someone, I can be very open, that's probably a, a part of it that folks who are just meeting me for the first time, I can be kind of quiet or shy. So I might appear to be mysterious, I guess. So I think that, that's like the biggest part of it for me. And also we have, we do have a bad reputation of like kind of lashing out. Although I would say it's because, you know, I lash out when I've been hurt or trying to protect myself. That's not necessarily an excuse, but just in terms of like the past when I have, um, I definitely used to have a lot worse temper than I do now. When I would definitely lash out at people, it was more of like, oh, I'm afraid you're going to hurt me or I feel like you have hurt me. So let me, let me like hurt you 
uh, when, now that I say it, it sounds pretty awful, but this idea of I mean, maybe like self-preservation mm-hmm. um, all for, you know, like this, yeah, like doing it because I don't want to be hurt anymore, I guess. And at the same time, I wow, I have a lot more to say about this than I thought I would. Just this idea of like tending to hurt oneself um, as well. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to hurt other people. It's more like, oh, I'm also going to sting myself because I'm also really hard on myself. So that's a part of it as well. Totally love this. And like to relate it to politics we and just in general, like we, emotional regulation is just so, so important no matter what your sign is, you know, and particularly being in community. So we are not perpetuating harm and yes. not have to be a community that's just, you know, a bunch of traumatized people that don't have tools. Like we can help each other with emotional regulation and or whatever else it is and discovering you know what it is that we do for self-preservation that could be made a little bit more kinder or or forgiving or whatever the situation is but it's just it just brings up a lot of of you know i wish there could be like a you know a broader kind of conversation about just not how to not be re-traumatizing yourself and re-traumatizing yes. us in community. Yes. So, so, yes. so, so important. Definitely. And I as mean, a cancer, it's... you know, oh, okay. who, who are the nicest people you will ever meet and are tenacious but are very sensitive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I don't know where I think I'm speaking from, but I just want to put a plug out there for all the beautiful cancers that are born in July and (laughs) have a lot of love and care to give and encourage everyone to give that love and care to themselves and yourself. Yeah. 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 You bring up a really important point, which is that it's hard. I think a lot for those of us who have been through trauma or have been harmed in some way to, as you said, not to, either enacted again on ourselves or on others in community, because if it's coming down, like for instance, I can think of how many people, especially in this country, have been harmed by police officers, for instance. And then what do we do with that if we can't like get it, either go to therapy or talk it out or wanting to like push back against that, one can't be like, oh, I'm gonna, it's hard to, I guess, punch up is what I'm saying. Like in comedy mm-hmm. one can, but in terms of to f- physically, for instance, I can't go ahead and just assault someone who's bigger than me, for instance, or someone in a position of power over me. That oh. So it's like, I think about that. And so then it's like, oh, well then we end up taking it out. And by we, say for me, in the past, I've taken it out on people in my circle or people like I'm close to in some way. And so just thinking about how to, yeah, prevent that from happening and how can we push back against the folks who are the ones who have hurt us and what can we learn from like restorative justice and abolitionist movements and kind of anti-domestic violence movements to not go to the kind of punishment that we've we've been socialized to think is the only option which it it isn't across the board yes. you know there's so many more options there for healing um, that I don't know a ton about but I'd like to learn more about or at least just mention here uh, in terms of, you know, keeping our community safe and healthy, keeping ourselves safe and healthy. Yes. And um, it's really, really easy to punch down. It's so easy. It's so basic. You know, yes. I think of yes. comedians who I really respect who don't punch punch yes. down. 
Same. They're hilarious. Hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. So. Yes. Yes, definitely. Whew. Thank you for, for bringing that bringing that up. That's definitely, because it's, I think, can be easy to, I think, point fingers or be like, oh, I'm not part of the problem if I'm not within that system. However, the behavior, like, we're all connected and we all have intersecting behaviors, too. So it's, I think, really crucial to, like, look inwards and see how we are either repeating these problematic behaviors and or see how we can shift For sure, for sure. In our personal lives, professional lives, all our lives show yeah. up like in that way would be so, so good, you know, because there's, you know, when I think of all the harm in intra community, it, it, that's just something that doesn't get addressed enough and is it, sticky, of course. Um, but if we could get right with ourselves, you know, in addition to fighting, you know, common external harms and oppression I, I think it'd be all the much more beautiful yes i just didn't hear what you said uh for what type of community i didn't hear exactly yeah i'm speaking more, more so from like queer community oh queer community yes yeah, yes. yeah. oh queer yeah queer intersectional community yes. yes that's that's what's on my mind right now for various reasons um, oh yeah yeah definitely definitely <sighs> So what's on your agenda for today? I'm going to go for a walk. I'm oh, going awesome. to, yeah, get some, it looks pretty nice out today. Get some exercise, get some sunshine, step away from the screen a little bit. It's definitely been uh, hard to, especially this past week, being, being one, wanting to be like aware of what's happening um, and at the same time not be fully overwhelmed by everything. So... Yeah, trying to strike that balance. Yeah, yeah. I did kind of something. This can be not on the thing, right? Yeah, I can uh, stop recording if that's... Oh, okay. Yeah, right? sure. If we have enough okay. content. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Well, um, okay. so yeah, we'll share your websites as well. So thank you so much for being here. All right. Thank you so, so much, Roman. Sure. Be right. safe. Be well, everyone. Right. Big thanks to Felicia Medina and apologies for the technical issues. We got it worked out over here. Uh, thanks to VLC. Uh, trying a lot of different applications here. And in the future, we'll be playing this again uh, all the way through now that we are able to uh, figure out the uh, the situation. So big thanks to Felicia Medina and also just for all the work that's being done um, to help people. So important and also uplifting and really grateful to have had that chance to talk so uh, i've got a few more news stories and because of the it's just been a bit off today i think that's definitely how i felt and we got about 20 minutes left I'll play some more music and uh then i'll just probably go over a few headlines and we're playing some songs by the band uh war on women and let's see how about Another song here. This is called uh, FM FM Minute FM 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 Mania. There we go. Oh yeah, I'm I'm getting there.
Hi, welcome back. Thanks so much for tuning in. Been quite a roller coaster here today. Uh, appreciate it if you are uh, listening in. Wanted to share a few more articles, and I'll mostly be providing headlines here. Definitely important things to talk about and think about. This first um, article comes from the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. You can find it at civilrights.org. This is uh, leading civil rights organizations oppose creation of new domestic terrorism legislation. And this came out on January 19th. I'll read a little bit here. Washington, in the aftermath of the January 6th deadly attack on uh, Congress, uh, by far-right extremists, including white nationalists, 135 civil and human rights organizations led by the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Arab American Institute, Ben the Ark Jewish Action, Muslim advocates and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund called on Congress to ensure that the Department of Justice utilize the over 50 federal statutes already in existence to investigate and prosecute individuals who participated in the insurrection. The groups identified other actions Congress can take to address the longstanding and ongoing threat posed by white supremacists and urge them to abstain from passing any additional domestic terrorism laws. And strongly opposing the creation of a new domestic terrorism charge, the organizations pointed out the harsh reality that counterterrorism practices are far too often blatantly misused to target and criminalize the very marginalized communities that white supremacists target for hate. We are concerned that a new federal domestic terrorism statute or list would adversely impact civil rights and, as our nation's long and disturbing history of targeting black activists, Muslims, Arabs, and movements for social and racial justice has shown, this new authority would be used to expand racial profiling or be wielded to surveil and investigate communities of color and political opponents in the name of national security, they noted. The government's inadequate response to rising white nationalism is a disgraceful policy feature. The problem is hardly new, and prosecutors have had a multitude of criminal statutes at their disposal to confront white supremacist violence, said Wade J. Henderson, interim president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. The time is overdue to refocus resources, implement prosecutors, prosecutorial guidance and prioritize combating white nationalism as the grave threat that it is. Congress can support these efforts not by passing additional counterterrorism laws, but instead by enforcing existing laws and using its formidable oversight and appropriations authority to demand a more effective response from federal law enforcement agencies. We don't lack the tools to hold white supremacists and anti-government actors accountable. We have lacked the political will to do so. At the same time, as part of the endless war on terror, Arab Americans and American Muslims are treated as suspicious, said Maya Berry, executive director of the Arab American Institute. In an inherently biased criminal legal system, we know how additional legal authorities will be used. They will be used just as they have previously to target directly impacted communities, including black and brown people and religious minorities. For years, authorities have ignored or downplayed the threat that violent white nationalists pose not only to the individuals and communities they target, but to democracy itself. While there are many reasons why our justice system has failed to prosecute these groups, a lack of resources or laws is not among them and must not be part of any rushed solution, said Rabbi Jason Kimmelman Block, Washington Director of Ben the Ark Jewish Action. We need a thorough accounting of what resources are being allocated to target and contain these groups, as well as a full accounting of the extent to which these groups have infiltrated law enforcement agencies themselves. And there's 
a few more paragraphs about more information, and we'll be sharing this article on our page, weeklyrev.org, uh, later today, most likely. Again, you can find it at civilrights.org. And then similarly, there um, it's going down, which is an anarchist news site, um, also shares uh, an article, why a new war on terror will just mean an expanded war on dissent. And this came out on January 20th of this year. I'll read a little bit from this perspective. In the aftermath of the far-right storming of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, the political center has escalated calls for expanded surveillance and policing powers to combat, quote-unquote, domestic terrorism. While it's been years of inaction in the face of escalating far-right violence, growing support for the far-right and Trump among law enforcement, and an intense drive by the state to attack and demonize Black Lives Matter and anti-fascist protesters, which has allowed fascist forces to grow both within the Republican Party and on the streets. With Biden coming into power, there are increasing calls to resist a new push by the state to criminalize dissent, a move which will result in even greater repression against movements from below. And then they have a tweet here, and they have a, a longer article about this. So um, it's a bit too long for me to read at this moment, but I will post a link on our website, weeklyrev.org. Also, uh, another story I wanted to get to uh, comes out of Illinois, and there's one article from The Intercept. Illinois will end cash bail and limit use of high-tech incarceration. Reformers typically propose predictive algorithms and electronic monitoring as alternatives to, mo to money bail. Illinois is different. This was written by Isaac Scher. And then there is a, another article also on the same topic that I wanted to share, and that's from The Guardian, and that came out... Um, on January 21st uh, by uh, Kiran Misra, and the title is Illinois Poised to Become First State to End Wealth-Based Pretrial Detention. So similar articles on, the, on what's happening in Illinois. So for more information, we'll, we'll share those articles as well. All right, I think that's about it. Uh, thanks for sticking with the show today through the technical difficulties. Uh, it's a DIY process here. Um, still wouldn't trade it in for anything else. So thanks so much again to Felicia Medina for speaking with me and for all the folks out there doing and have done the work to create a more just and fair world for everybody. Here's some more music. Woo! <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. From uh, this is a, the 2020 album from War on Women, Wonderful Hell. It's a song called Seeds, and we'll be back uh, next week. Have a great week, everyone.
be a podcast. Are you... Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're 
chosen by uh, here's you. his theme song again bye okay bye Watch Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento. At and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside mutinyradio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara streaming live on Facebook 